So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, this one's gonna be about something different, a little bit. It is still maybe considered self-development, but I'm actually not quite sure, but still, it might be something that is really interesting to somebody else but me, you know, because it is somehow interesting for me, but I also guess that it could just really be something for a lot of different people and or for a lot of other people as well. But more after the intro, as always. And now I'm just hearing my PC running its fans just so immensely fucking high. It is just so loud. <laughs> I do hope that you're just not able to hear it that much, you know, because it would be really disturbing, I guess. But yeah, hello and welcome back to the next episode of the Self-Development with Tactics fucking podcast. And I'm pretty pumped to be here, you know, I'm really pumped to be here and talk about this amazing book notes. You know, it is not a summary, it is not a review, it is just notes in the book from Derek Sivers, you know, it's ex exactly the exact same, it is exactly, exactly the exact same thing that we went through yesterday, so it's not the exact same book, but it is the exact same site and the exact same kinds of concept, you know, if you're willing to say that, but yeah, before I actually forget to mention, if you're just really not having the time for watching a 30-minute episode, which is something that I do assume sometimes, you know, a lot of people do not really have the time to do that, then I just really, really recommend going down in the description because there is the link to the podcast, you know. First of all, it is just way more efficient and second of all, it is also way more friendlier for your mobile data if you are just on your mobile right now and if not having just such a lot of mobile data because the YouTube video is quite large, you know. I'm uploading it with kind of 3 gigabyte, 2 gigabytes, something like that. In the end, of course, YouTube is just uh, lowering the amount of bitrate and or lowering kind of the, the, the file size a little bit, or actually kind of significantly, 2, 3, 200, 400 MB, something like that. But still, I have to say that the, that the raw data, you know, the raw data of the podcast is like 70 MB, 80 MB, just it's it's always under 100, you know, and this is just way better for your mobile data than just watching a 200 episode or something, and it could also be the case that it depends on where you're watching, of course, and or listening, of course, that uh, the platform that you're listening on is also going to just lower that a little bit, you know, potentially, I don't know, but it could potentially be the case, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. But to actually show you what you're going to go through today, you know, because I haven't, haven't, haven't even said something, we're going through Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. I, I'm, I still don't know how he's pronounced, unfortunately, but uh, it is a great book and it is a really kind of famous one, I would say as well, because just a lot of people have recommended it and a lot of people have been talking about it as one of the best books well, not one of the best books there is, but uh, a good book, a pretty good book. So yeah, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, or Harari, I don't know, still don't know how it is pronounced. And as I said, we are on Derek Sivers' site, so it is sivers.com or .org, I think it is actually sivers.org, I'm not quite sure, I guess it is. And these are his book notes, you know, it is only notes, it is really, as he's also saying as well, quite often, it is not a replacement for reading the book, of course not. And uh, is a summary replacement for reading the book? 
sometimes not often because you really have to go through a really detailed summary for just being able to do that but uh, sometimes it is you know for example if you are on the alanjang.com website which provides amazingly detailed summaries of books then i would actually say that it is quite a replacement for reading the book because they're so detailed like you're saving some time of course but uh, you're obviously not getting the whole experience of reading the book I know this is something that also has to be said. But yeah, um, if you want to search the book for yourself, the ISBN is 0062316095. So yeah, I'm going to read this little kind of, uh, I don't want to say summary because it's not a review, a quote, yeah, a, a quite little review, I would say. So I resisted reading this popular history of mankind because it came out when I had just finished Guns, Germs and Steel and Cows, Bakes, Wars and Witches on the same subject. But wow, this book is, is, at, is at its best when the author is sharing his personal perspective about binding myths, humanism and other ways the truths are not true. And you get an interesting history of the world along with it. Along with it. Strange mix of history and philosophy. Sounds pretty interesting, to be honest, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if it is actually self-help. I guess it is actually not. But something that is bothering me quite a little bit, and I wonder if I could, nah, if I could do that. Uh, I guess it. this is a little bit too big, isn't it? Let's step it down. Yeah, because the thing is, uh, the font and or... Actually, the font is way too close to the border of my screen there and also just on the screen that you're having there. But yeah, never mind. My notes. Animals are said to belong to the same species if they tend to mate with each other, giving birth to fertile offspring. Why our ancestors wiped out the Neanderthals, or Neanderthals, I guess, they were too familiar to ignore but too different to tolerate. I do just really have to say, like, yeah, it does make sense. You know, we are human beings, and I guess to maybe also being able to understand, not understand that quite, but to, well, maybe even understand that empathy is a really, really great tool, for, you know, for doing that, because empathy in a lot of ways is really important, and I'm just really trying to build bridges between what I'm reading there and some self-development stuff, you know, because this is what the podcast is all about. And empathy is, is, is definitely one of the things that is most important in life, I have to say. Like, I really have to say, because uh, being, well, okay, the thing is, being empathetic and also using it, I guess, you know, because you can also be empathetic, but still a fucking asshole. And this is then not just really what I'm talking about, you know, this is, I, I actually talk about being empathetic and also then being nice just because you know how other people are feeling or how they seem to be feeling and or how you think they are feeling but uh, if you're only an asshole or something then uh, yeah nah not that good not that good but yeah being empathetic is just really something in a lot of ways in an, in and also in a lot of different areas marketing for example it's definitely really important and definitely a useful and handy skill to have because if you know or if you can somehow assume how somebody's feeling, then you also can just market something to this particular person. And also how your target group or target audience might be feeling or might be thinking, you know? So if you're just able to step into their shoes and step into the into their life and to then actually see what they're doing, 
how they are feeling, what they like to do, what they like to eat, and all those things like what they like to smell. All those things could be relatively relevant to to you. You know, it depends on what you're marketing, of course. You know, if you're just marketing some perfume, then of course, I don't know, what they like to smell is going to be just really heavily important, you know, but not what they like to eat then. But yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. Um, I do just have to do it a little bit like that, you know. I'm hearing the echo a little bit. Not that much, really not that much, but I maybe should also get a little bit further there um, and also put that down a little bit, I guess. So yeah, uh, let's go on. Large numbers of strangers can cooperate successfully by believing in common myths. Religions, you know, keyword, religions. There are no nations, no money, no human rights, no laws, and no justice outside the common imagination or imagination of human beings. Lawyers call this a legal fiction. I don't know, I gotta have to say, like, these are all things that we have made up in the end so that we are seemingly able to live together properly. I don't know if it is actually the case that we are able to live together just in a proper way, you know, but, but I don't know. Without laws, we would all kill ourselves, I guess, you know. And if there would not be just some sort of a moral law as well, because, of course, law says a lot of things, you know. There are just a lot of different laws that are saying quite a lot of things, and still a lot of laws are just, first of all, quite unnecessary sometimes, you know. Not a lot of them, but sometimes there is going to be a law that is really not that important, I would say. But um, don't break it, though. You know, I'm not saying that you should break any fucking laws, I, the thing is, if there, if there wouldn't be any moral laws as well, as I said before, then I think we would all kill ourselves without actually hesitating, I guess. You know, of course, there might be some morals implemented into us by nature, some sort of, but I don't know. What do you think? You know, do you think that we are having some morals or not, you know, by nature, or if this is actually something that was made up for us or by us and whatnot. The next thing. Under the right circumstances, myths can change rapidly. In, 1780, in 1789, the French population switched almost overnight from believing in the myth of the divine right of kings to believing in the myth of the sovereignty of the people. Yeah, French Revolution, I guess. Not quite sure. Uh, one on one, even 10 on 10, we are embarrassingly similar to chimpanzees. Significant differences begin to appear only when we cross the threshold of 150 individuals and when we reach 1,000 to 2,000 individuals, the differences are astounding. Yeah, I would say so. I guess why he's saying it in this way because it is just a really kind of strange way to say that because when we are different we should be different in every kind of form and or in just any amount i would say but i guess it is actually the case that if you're comparing somebody one-to-one -one to a chimpanzee you're going to to see a lot of similarities i guess but if you're comparing 2,000 individuals you know so human beings and then 2,000 chimpanzees i guess you're going to see the differences. You know, you're going to see that maybe chimpanzees are just uh, looking the same or looking the same most often or more often than human beings are and uh, and different things. And all, also maybe behavior, I guess. But yeah. Debates about Homo sapiens, natural way of the... Which is 
called Natural Way of Life. Mr. Mr. Moin I'm sorry, missed the main point. Ever since the cognitive revolution, there hasn't been a single natural way of life for sapiens. Okay. Wheat, rice and potatoes, these plants domesticated homo sapiens rather than vice versa. Hmm, I see. Does that then mean that you shouldn't eat wheat, rice and potatoes? Does this mean that or is it just something different that this is saying right now? I do just have, I do just always have to check whether the microphone is okay because I'm not seeing it because of my homemade kind of pop filter, um, which is uh, doing quite good, I guess. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure to be honest. Why didn't humans abdon farming when they plan backfired? When the plan backfired, partly because it took generations for the small changes to accumulate and transform society, and by then nobody remembered that they had ever lived differently. Yeah, I think we tend to forget a lot of things or we make us forget a lot of things, I guess, maybe as well. Luxuries tend to become necessities and to spawn new obligations. Yeah, it's totally the case. I don't know. I guess if you're just really used to having a luxurious life, you know, having those really nice cars and having those really nice clothings and whatnot, it's going to be heavily difficult for you to just live a normal quote-unquote life or just a low income life again you know it's going to be difficult you know but nothing is impossible first of all but it's really going to be difficult because you kind of feel like okay this is something that i need as they say you know it becomes a necessity and and it spawns new obligations but i but then i guess it just then takes a little bit of time and then you realize again that not a lot of those things actually matter you know and that they are actually not necessary but just um, luxurious items, so things that you can have, but not things that you have to have. But yeah, today the world contains about a billion sheep, a billion pigs, more than a billion cattle, and more than 25 billion chickens. Domesticated cattle, pigs, and sheep sheep are the second, third, and fourth most widespread large mammals in the world. Okay, domesticated chickens and cattle may may well be an evolutionary success story, but they are also among the most miserable creatures that ever lived. Yeah, actually the case, you know, they live to die quite, isn't it? Well, are we doing it differently? Maybe? Uh, this discrepancy between evolutionary success and individual suffering is perhaps the most important lesson we can draw from the agriculture revolution. A dramatic increase in the collective power and uh, ostensible success of our species went hand in hand with much individual suffering. Peasants almost never achieved economic security through their hard work in the present. Everywhere, rules and elites sprang up, living off the peasants' surplus food and living from with, and living them with only a bare subsidence. These uh, four-fighted food sur surpluses fueled politics, wars, art, and philosophy. History is something that very few people have been doing while everyone else was plugging fields. Is history like documenting things? What's the definition of history? The past, former times, historical events, days of old, the old days, the good, the study of past events, particularly in human affairs, medieval European history, for example, the past considered as a whole, 
yeah, I guess it is actually more like documentation or kind of the science of the science of the old, of the old, I'm sorry. When the agricultural revolution opened opportunities for the creation of crowded cities and mighty empires, people invented stories about great gods, motherlands and joint stock companies to provide the need, the needed social likes. Links, I'm sorry. I gotta have to say that this is actually not, that this is actually quite an interesting explanation, you know, because I don't know. I don't know if so many people would have done something for somebody, you know, without actually any reason. Like, for example, for the king, you know, would they actually have built an empire for the king? Because somebody had to, like somebody had to build it so that it is there now, you know, the fortresses and, and whatnot. Somebody had to build them, of course, but would they have actually done that if, or had they actually done that if uh, there was no kind of reason, I guess, because there just has to be reason, you know, nobody's doing something without a reason, um, even though sometimes reasons are definitely also subconscious, you know, and not really conscious, but yeah, but I guess not, I guess really not, I guess nobody would actually do something without a reason to, to do that, you know, we all have reasons to do something, you know, rather it be just, I don't know, helping somebody else so that you're feeling good about yourself, or... Uh, just because you're feeling good primarily. Like, because the first one was like just an, an just some sort of an indirect move so that you're feeling good and the other one is like directly for you that you're feeling good. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Humurabi and the American founding fathers are both wrong. The only place where such universal principles exist is in the imagination. These principles have no objective valid validity, the American Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with a certain unal unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. People were not created, they have evolved, and they certainly did not evolve to be equal. The Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a definitely created soul created soul and that all souls are equal before god however if we do not believe in the christian myths about god creation and souls what does it mean that all people are equal evolution is based on difference not on equality neither is there a creator who endorses or endows them with anything there's only a blind evolutionary process devoid of any purpose there are no such things as rights in biology. There are only organs, abilities, and characteristics. And I think this is exactly what I've been talking about before, as um, I don't think that we would actually kind of have laws if there wouldn't be any laws that we actually made up. And, and if you're just thinking about it, and I'm just thinking about it, it's somehow really kind of, uh, yeah... I kind of really doubt that uh, laws make sense. It, they make sense, of course, but but I don't know. It just feels strange now just thinking about laws, you know, just because laws are something that that we made up, you know. So therefore, I don't know. Of course, you're then going to be in prison, but yeah, you know, if you're doing something, you're going to be in prison and or maybe be killed, you know, in certain countries or states, actually. Uh, but yeah. But yeah, the next one, the next one. Advocates of equality and human rights may be outraged by this line of reasoning. The response is likely to be, we know that people are not equal biolog 
biologically, but if we believe that we are all equal in essence, it will enable us to create a stable and prosperous society. I have no argument with that. This is exactly what I mean by imagined order. Yeah, it is just imagined. You know, it is just something that was made up. Of course, um, when we actually have a look at chimpanzees, there's going to be somebody that is the leader and there's going to be somebody that is not the leader, you know, because I don't know, it has always been the case, you know, and I do just think if actually those qualities that that makes a chimpanzee to, to the king or to the leader and whatnot of the group, if these qualities are actually the same as the qualities that we choose when we are choosing a leader or that we like when we are choosing a leader. So it would actually be interesting because I guess there, there might be just some sort of a, some sort of a, just what is called connection between those two things. You know, I guess it, it would at least be really interesting. But I guess there just has to be something like that, you know, because we're so similar. We're so similar. There just has to be something. But yeah. We believe in a particular order, not because it is objectively true, but because believing in it enables us to cooperate effectively and forge a better society. Definitely. Hammurabi might have defeated or defended his principle of hierarchy using the same logic. I know that superiors, commoners and slaves are not inherently different kinds of people, but if you believe that they are, that they are it will enable us to create a, create a stable and prosperous society. Yeah. There is no God, but don't tell that to my servant, lest he murdered me at night. Voltaire. Philosopher, I guess. Not quite sure. Let's see. A French writer, playwright and poet, pseudonym of Francois-Marie Aurore. He was a leading figure of the Enlightenment and uh, frequently came into conflict with the establishments as a result of his radical views and satirical writings. Notable works, letters... Philosophical, yeah, some French things. An imagined order is always in danger of collapse because it depends upon myths and myths vanish once people stop believing in them. A simple priest often does the work of a hundred soldiers far more cheaply and effectively. Yeah, 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 it just makes sense. And the thing is, it definitely will break if, if nobody believes in it. You know, if nobody would actually believe in the system that we are having, in the law systems that we are having, then of course everything would break, in theory, you know. But the thing is, a lot of people believe in it, and a lot of people are just part of it. But if just, I don't know, I do just think... Let's say you're stealing something, you know, what happens is probably gonna be like, okay, police is coming, maybe, or maybe even not, and then uh, they are going to arrest you, maybe, you know, because you have stolen something really just pricey and whatnot, and then you're gonna get in prison. So let's assume, because there are different stages in there, you know, the different stages in this, in this task, you know, in this kind of uh, just chain of reactions, I would say. The first thing is you're stealing something, you know, this is something inevitable, you know, it is just what happens. You're stealing something, but what if the police just doesn't come, you know, they're not coming. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck about what you have just stolen. Then everything is just fucked right now. You know, of course, there might be just some other police, but let's say in in a fucking country, the whole police is just giving a fuck. Then you're just stealing it and it is it, you know, just without actually by leaving out all the moral things, you know, because of course, 
I don't know. If you're just feeling like, okay, you know, I shouldn't be stealing and whatnot, then you're also not going to steal. But um, if you're not having some moral issues or something, then you're going to steal, you know. But let's say the cops give a fuck, you know, and they're going to arrest you. What if the judge doesn't give a fuck and just is like, okay, I don't fucking care, you know, we're not going to arrest you. What's then? You know, then of course, just you're going to leave again. And that's quite it. Of course, there might be just some some uh, some people kind of uh, just not being happy about it and whatnot. But but let's say the judge is also like, okay, we're going to arrest you. The next thing might be in prison. If the prison, because maybe it is even a private prison and maybe it is the state. What if the state just gives a fuck about you and is like, okay, I don't fucking care if you're in my fucking prison, but just leave. I don't need you. Then you're also free as well. You know, if they give a fuck about the system, about the laws, about whatever. So I don't know. I guess it just it would just take one in every kind of reaction there, so that everything is kind of fucked. Then I guess you know, as I'm just thinking about it. But yeah, medieval noblemen did not believe in individualism. Someone's worth was determined by their place in the social hierarchy, as it actually is the case in certain places, and by still. And by what other people said about them, being laughed at was a horrible indignity. Indignity. Noblemen taught their children to protect their good name, whatever the cost. It has been the case. Yeah. Does it still have to be the case? No. The mo- you don't really have to care about what anybody's thinking about you. But I still have to say that you should listen. You know, it is really not good to just really give a fuck about what anybody's saying. You know, because. People are just saying, you know, people are just talking and they're often talking shit and it doesn't really have to hurt you and doesn't really have to mean anything to you, you know. But uh, listening to people is something that I would still suggest you to do because, I don't know, often they're then saying something good and something that you can use for your own uh, pleasure and or for your own uh, things, you know, something that you could just use, you know, and therefore you should always be listening, but you do not always have to act on whatever you're listening to, you know, you can easily be like, okay, I'm not gonna take that, you know, I'm not gonna do that, you could do that, but always listen, you know, always listen, because there could be something valuable in there, but if you're not listening, the chances of not getting anything, or or of getting nothing, are just 100%, you're not gonna anything, you're not gonna get anything, if you're not listening. The modern house is divided into many small rooms so that each children can have a private space, hidden from view, providing for maximum autonomy. Medieval castles rarely contained private rooms, for children or anyone else for that matter. Children slept alongside many other youths in a large hall, always on display and always had to take into account what others saw and said. Someone growing up in such conditions naturally concluded that a man's true worth was determined by his place in the so- in the social hierarchy, and by what other people said of him. It would at least make sense. Follow your heart, but the heart is a double but the heart is a double agent that usually takes its instructions from the dominant myths of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to say against it, I guess. Many of history's most important drivers are intersubjective. Law, money, gods, nations. Most important drivers are intersubjective. What is intersubjective? Intersubjective. Uh, Look up. 
existing between conscious minds shared by more than one conscious mind. Does it mean that, ah, I see. I guess it just means that it is only working because a lot of people believe in it. You know, money works because people believe in it and we all just agree to the system. If you're not agreeing money in your store, then what should people do? Like, of course, you could be like, okay, I'm only taking gold. If this is right by law, you know, and if you're able to do this by law, I don't know, might be the case, but you could be doing that. You know, you don't have to just use money. You could just, could just also trade what the kind of advantage there is. I don't know. It's, if there is any advantage, I don't know. Maybe not. To change an existing imagined order, we must first believe in an alternative imagined order. Yeah. Beasts don't need lawyers because there is no danger that they might forget or violate the Hive Constitution. Yeah. Uh, the Sumerians, Sumerians base... Base 6 system bestowed on us the division of the day into 24 hours and of the circle into 360 degrees. More signs were added to this Sumerian system, gradually transforming it into a full script that we totally call uh, cuneiform. So C-U-N-E-I-F-O-R-M. Other full scripts were developed in China around 1200 BC and in Central America around 1000 to 500 BC. 0 to 9 are known as Arabic numbers even though they were first invented by the Hindus. But the Arabs get the credit because, they, because when they invaded India, they encountered the system, understood its usefulness, refined it and spread it through the Middle East and then to Europe. Then noted. Every imagined hierarchy, this solves its fictional origins and claims to be natural and invitable. Hierarchies enable complete strangers to know how to treat one another without wasting the time and energy needed to become personally acquainted. Cultures tend to argue that it forbids only that, only that which is unnatural, but from a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. Whatever is possible is by the is by definition also natural. Yeah, it is. It, it is natural, but it is not normal, I guess. Gender is a race in which some of the runners compete only for the bronze medal. Fuck yeah, fuck. Ever since the French Revolution, people throughout the world have gradually come to see both equality and individual freedom as fundamental values. Yet, the two values... Values contradict each other. Equality can be ensured only by certainly or curdling the freedoms of those who are better off. Guaranteeing that every individual will be free to do as he wishes invitably short changes equality. The entire political history of the world since 1789 can be seen as a series of attempts to reconcile this contradiction. Interesting. And with that being said, this is going to be the end of the episode, you know, because we are already 30 minutes in. I gotta have to say, it was a new experience to do that, you know, to do something that has quite nothing to do with self-development. I still hope that you've learned a lot of things, you know, and I still hope that it developed something in you and or that it, that it actually helped you. And yeah, I wish you the best health of awareness and also success. And I also wish that you are uh, thinking about your legacy. And I also hope that you are... The, the thing is, 
being nice and then being remembered as a nice person. You know, this is my definition of, uh, it's not a definition of legacy, but it is an example of legacy. But the thing is, no matter how nice you are or generous you are, there's still going to be somebody that dislikes you or even hates you. Just because of no fucking reason. It is what it is. But yeah. Um, three other questions that I hope that you're going to ask yourself are what are you trying to change? Why are you here? And what is bothering you the most? Why those three questions? Because I hope that you're going to find out your purpose by asking yourself these three questions. But yeah, I'm going to see you the next time, hopefully. So please subscribe to the podcast and please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It would really mean a lot to me. And with that being said, I see you the next time.